This episode sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They didn't want us to read an ad, so this is not an ad. So shut up. So shut up. Enjoy. Hello, sir. Is uh, this the recruitment office for the armed forces? Yes, it is, son. Come on in. Have a seat. Right. Don't mind if I do. If I could just... uh... That does not bode well for the climbing wall later. And yep, there we go. See, did it all on my own. Army of one, right? My name is Jeff. I am a talking mongoose. You may have heard of me. And I would like to join the military today. So if you could just uh, point me in the direction of the night vision goggles and automatic weapons, I thank you. All right, son, I appreciate your enthusiasm. Now, listen, uh, do you know exactly what you're getting yourself into signing up here for the armed forces? Oh, I absolutely do, sir. I've spent the entire evening last night watching the documentary of Starship Troopers, and I am ready to do everything I can to avenge those lost on Klendathu. Um I had no idea that we were currently at war with sentient insects, bugs, filth, and I'd like to do my part. I'm incensed at what happened to Buenos Aires. And I'd like to be a part of this solution, sir. I want to. I don't want this to be hanging over this planet for one minute longer than it has to. And if that means that Jeff has to take off his bowler hat and put on a helmet, then that's what Jeff's going to do, sir. And I once again ask you, where are the night vision goggles and the automatic weapons? Okay, son, it's all right. You can calm down. I appreciate your enthusiasm, though. Quick question. At what point will I be trained in uh, space football? Because it seemed like that flip six three hole was just the number to really, you know, get the job done. But you you have to understand the implications of of what you're doing. And, uh, well, it's, it's... It's a duty to be able to do this for your country. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And I'm looking forward to it myself. I mean, you know, pink goop, not so much. Group showers with the ladies. Yes, please. Am I right? Yes, please. Am I right? (laughs) With the birds. Uh, Nope. Not today. (laughs) Not today. Thanks, Obama. Well, I appreciate your enthusiasm for wanting to serve your country. Now, let me ask you something. Uh, Is this your country? Just what the hell do you mean by that, sir? And I apologize for not swearing more forcefully. I've heard a lot of uh, accents around the United States, and uh, what you got ain't one of them. Oh, no. Completely understand, sir. Now, I am originally from England, transplanted, right? I've uh, been living here in the United States for some time now, contributing where I can. Uh, took a shot at justice, was rebuffed by a system not interested in justice. And so I decided that uh, best way uh, best way to make my contribution, take the fight to the bugs, as it were, is here with the military. So if you would just, I mean, do I need to initial somewhere? I guess I guess we can uh, get you signed up at least, and then they can they can sort you out at basic. Okay? That's what that's what they do. Usually you, they run you through it first, and then they figure out whether or not you belong there. Excellent. So. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, I'll tell you what, uh, Army doesn't say no to anybody, so. Uh, well, I guess we could uh, get you squared away with. Some, I got, I got, I do have a miniature suit of, uh, of some Kevlar fatigues back there. Well, I mean, it came with a build a bear, but you know, we could, uh, we could get that squared away for you. Probably even a training rifle for you. And yes, please. 
Actually, uh, now that you say it, I, I do have a pair of uh, uh, night vision goggles. They're for my King Charles Spaniel, but they'll uh, they'll probably suit you just fine. Perfect. I love this. Lord knows he ain't using them. It's finally happening for Jaffa. And you know what? I can even uh, and get you. We can skip the the climbing wall there, but I I do have a, a pretty kick ass obstacle course out in the back here. It's it's for my chickens, but Lord knows they ain't using it either. So uh, we'll get you going on that. All I need to get you started here is an ID and your social security card. Excuse me, what? Well, you know, I'd I'd love to get you set up here, but uh, first I just need to put you in the system, and for that I'm going to need your social security card and ID and so do. You, do you have a social security number? Does Uncle Sam even know you exist in this country? Or are you, uh... Listen, I'm not here to talk to you about your uncles. I'm here to talk about whether or not I get in this military or not. And I don't need a number. Jeff's Jeff. I'm a talking mongoose. It's not like you've ever seen one before. Believe me, if I saw another talking mongoose, I'd be thrilled. Then I'd club him to death because there's just one Jeff the talking mongoose. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate your enthusiasm. We could really use that in the in the yeah. army there. Right. So but, just um, let's have let's have but, the uh, bear's uniform, the gun, well, your dog goggles, uh, and let me loose on that chicken coop. And I'm going to show you what a mong- I mean. I can kill a cobra with my own mouth. Unfortunately, in the army, you are a number, son. And uh, to get started, we'd have to put that number in the system and uh, get you registered. So I'm I'm afraid I can't help you. Well, so what? I appreciate you stopping by, though. I appreciate your enthusiasm, more importantly. At this point, oh, I am extremely tempted to use some choice, vile, filthy language on you. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to walk right past you, sirs. What I'm going to do, I'm going to walk right through those doors, and I'm going to go straight to that obstacle course, and I'm going to show you what Jeff can do. And when I'm done, sir, you will apologize to me. And then I will apologize to you for not swearing to you now. All right. Knock yourself out, son. Too right. Too bloody right, sir. If All I right. Just... Don't... It's an awfully tall chair, sir. Just, uh... Just a moment. If I could just get one foot off the... Okay. 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 Oh. And off, and off I go, as I said, sir. Good day. Well, have fun on that obstacle course. Lord knows the chickens ain't using it, so. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, howdy. My name's Dave Stecco. My name's David Flora. Time to serve (laughs) and protect. You've been called up, soldiers. (laughs) Now you're a cop. (laughs) How the hell are... Every one of you, every single one of you, we're going to wait until all of you. And we're not going one step further until we hear back from each and every one of you. Dave, we are recording this. Good. I'm going to, I'm going to date it. Sure. Because who gives a f***. But uh, it's midsummer. Yeah. Which is weird because it's, it's the beginning of summer. Is this the official day? Did we do it? Yeah. Today was the opposite of Xmas. Oh, it's the longest day of the year. Oh, so it's like yards miss. It's the saddest holiday on earth. You just, you can really just get on that lawn, you know, really, really get it all taken care of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yards miss. Yeah. And in the, uh, in the old uh, Wiccan calendar or the mm, pagan calendar, as it were, they call it midsummer, even though it's, it's the first day of summer summer solstice yeah because it should be the middle of summer because this is the the longest day so then summer should flow outwards from this moment and yet it does not true yeah so so you're saying that the 
the Wiccans got it right. Yeah. In the naming. Yeah. But uh, I'm taking that stance. Wiccans got it right. You heard it. Next question. Well, I'll tell you how the hell we are doing. <laughs> yeah. We're doing tell them how we are. Pretty friggin' sweet. I changed the F word up in that sentence. <laughs> now apologize for not swearing harder. <laughs> apologize for not swearing more. <laughs> That's right, because you, dear listener, right now, because of you, dear listener. Yeah. As a direct result of your hard work, you are listening to the best podcast in Chicago. Uh, uh, Democratically uh, elected, uh, no help from the Russians. We we were named best podcast in the 2017 Best of Chicago Reader poll. Uh, the yeah. Reader is a is a local paper around here, and they do this every year. And yeah, it's it's got a lot of cred. Actually, this is cred. this is a pretty big deal for us. So. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for everyone who voted in, for everyone who told someone to vote in. For, you know what? Why not? Everyone who thought of voting in but then got busy. Thank you, too. Yeah. Thank you, because you listen, at yeah, least. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Big thanks to everybody. This was all you're doing. Obviously, it was everybody had to go out and make the vote happen. So yeah, we, we came out on top, and we appreciate all you for that, and we are happy to get a win. Oh, Yeah. And think about this, Flora. For the next year, we could, if we so chose, not saying we're going to, not saying we're not going to, open every episode with, you are now listening to Blurry Photos, Chicago's best podcast. That's right. You know what? We earned that. Yeah. We all did. So why right. not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're very happy. Uh, and congratulations to the runner-up, Clerk and Dagger. And, yes. Um, yeah, what a what a fun thing to wake up to today. Yeah, that was awesome. And so just in case you're wondering, we are not going to mention this again for the rest of the podcast because yeah. we were we were hoping we'd know by the time we recorded, but it hadn't been announced yet. So right. we, we went back in to record to add this in here. So just know that the, the, the a-holes you'll be listening to for the rest of this episode have no idea that they are are operating Chicago's best podcast. <laughs> and it will be blatantly clear in the content. <laughs> Those dumb sons of bitches. <laughs> you know something they don't know. That's right. <laughs> so thanks Try again, Try not everybody. to judge them. They live in the past and they're ignorant. It was a different time then. <laughs> we were all different then. <laughs> Oh, man, that is just awesome. Yeah. So thank you guys so much. Uh, thank you, Chicago Reader. Uh, it's just awesome. It just is great. Awesome. And, I mean, gosh, I don't I don't know. I, like, there's a part of me that wants to sing Africa by Toto, but I feel like maybe that would be mocking it, so I don't want to do that. <laughs> I just feel good. And what better anthem for happiness is there than Africa by Toto? I don't know. <laughs> we don't have to do that. Well, no, we, we never have to. But <laughs> that's what makes it amazing. I'm going to tell you right now, Dave. Hurry, boy, she's waiting there for you. Do, 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 do. It's going to take a lot to take me away from you. There's nothing that a hundred men or more could ever do. I bless the rains down in Africa. See, we win, now we punish people. That's not fair. <laughs> that's not right. Sorry. That's how this we is, got this here. This is what our happiness sounds like. This is like. the throne we have built. 
Now we sit upon it. It burns. <laughs> uh, Flor, you got anything else before we return to our regularly scheduled programming? Uh, I don't, and I, I hope that we'll do... I'll, I'll do this as jarringly as possible. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> Lest anyone lose. think there's continuity. <laughs> oh, awesome. Let's talk about this episode. Dave. Yeah. Tell them what they've won this episode. I will tell them what they've won, because if this uh, episode is terrible, just know that it was my idea. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> my idea. We were thinking of ideas, and uh, we've got some really fun ones that we incorporated into this, but we're like, oh, these are all kind of cool, but any individual one wasn't quite enough for a full episode. So as we started to do research, we thought, like, the history of animals incorporated into warfare, weaponized animals, murder fauna. <laughs> uh, and there you go. So, so that's what we're doing this, this, uh, this week. We're doing uh, war animals, war animals. Which, war animals. War animals. That was thing, copyright wasn't blurry it? photos. It's that's our new uh, Animorphs series of books. <laughs> They're pretty sad. A lot of loss. A lot of tragedy. So that's what we're doing this week. Um, uh, yeah. A little bit so. of military history. A little bit of uh, a conspiracy theory. A little bit of uh, top secret shenanigans. Yeah. Government yeah. projects. Terrible ideas that somehow worked. <laughs> Yeah, terrible ideas that didn't work at all. <laughs> Did not come close to working. <laughs> and um, all as always, with just a hint of Pliny. Yeah, I mean, when when you think of animals and warfare, you, you're probably going to picture horses charging or elephants bellowing or maybe dogs snarling, uh, battle cat and panthor going at it. <laughs> like I forgot about panthor. <laughs> how do you how do you he was he was so velvety smooth <laughs> oh yeah he was <laughs> he was he was that felty one so did you, did you ever have him as a toy no i'll tell you what uh i had like very few he-mans i had he-man oh, and then my. like that okay. whatever green car he drove around in <laughs> that's funny and then i had um lockjaw because he had interchangeable arms which i thought was the coolest thing that's ever happened and then one that was like a spider. That's it. Huh. You had all the ones I did not have, save for <laughs> He-Man. Oh, yeah? I had a bunch, man. I can see you because, I mean, I feel like at the heart of uh, every kid who becomes a big fan of pro wrestling, there's like a He-Man junkie living in there. Maybe. It primes the pump. So anyway, animals of war. So once again, history proves to be strange all on its own with numerous odd examples of animals of war. Not all fighting has been done astride a powerful destrier and not all ideas of fighting otherwise have proven to be prudent. But we'll be taking a look at several odd examples of how humans have used animals in warfare over the years and some examples of plans that thankfully never took shape. Yeah. Flora, hit them hit with some very, very important disclaimer times that we, we yes. both fully yes. need, feel needs to be stated at the start of this episode. Completely. Yeah. We do not condone these acts that we're about to discuss. In fact, most of them are pretty deplorable. Uh, you know, dragging animals out into our idiot phrase and the like. There have been untold numbers of fighting animal deaths in warfare, and unfortunately, animals as casualties of war is still a common and terrible consequence. Truthfully, any fighting we do should be to protect them from such fates, not use them for our own fates, as it were. 
Uh, thankfully, we learned how to use machines to do the work of animals, and while animals are still utilized in some parts of the world, the number is dwindling and nowhere near what it was this time last century, even. So with this episode, we seek not to glorify the utilization of animals in warfare, but, you know, to learn from history's missteps, discover some of the rather out-there fanciful schemes, and marvel at the capabilities and symbolism of animals in warfare. Well said. Yeah, in no way do I think animals should be used for war ever yeah. in, in any purpose. I, I completely agree. Like, and even doing this research, it's like on the one hand, you're like, wow, that's kind of fascinating. But wow, that's really dark and terrible. Yeah, it, it can be depressing. It, you know, this, this episode may not be for everyone. With, with that being said, there are some very, some sad parts uh, to it. But like you said, yeah, there's, there's parts that are fascinating. Uh, there's, there's just parts that are deplorable. And, um, and then there's, uh, there's some other parts that are kind of uh, heartwarming. So <laughs> it's, it's got a little bit of everything. Yeah, it really does. You know, some, some people don't like the true crime. Some people don't like the UFO stuff. Some people may not like this one. So we're just putting that out there. Uh, letting you know what's up. Yeah. So let me start out here. Sure, sure. And and of course, you know, like we said, in war, top of the list is probably going to be horse. Yeah. And so th- at this point, we say, well, the horse has been covered. The horse is an A-lister in a way. Oh, right. I mean, we could, you could not only do an episode, you could do an entire podcast on horses yeah. and war. I mean, from, from. Uh, just moving materials to cavalry to uh, 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 Parthian archers to, I mean, all the way, all the way up to now. I mean, what was that? That movie was it a two years ago? War horse. I mean, hmm. the, the, the use of horses is everywhere. And, and unfortunately it was so ubiquitous that it was kind of swamping us. So aside from acknowledging that. <laughs> right. Right. Dogs too, like yeah. Yeah, dogs have been used for for forever. Um, we've got we've a got couple a little, of little got a couple of little them, little examples there. Yeah, so so you know, horses we're gonna we're gonna shy away from just um, just because we couldn't we wouldn't be able to stop if we started. Um, what didn't we do an extra soda or something where we talked a little bit about horses or was that was that like the legendary ep- weapons episode? It may have been, boy, I feel like maybe that was Legendary Weapons, but don't quote me. Because it was, we also talked about like game changing. Um, oh, yeah, the technology. technology. Yeah, I think that was horse. I think horses did come in there as like okay. over time when a certain thing would come along and just F everything else out the game. Yeah. You know, yeah, chariot. I know Chariot was in there, but yeah. um, okay. So uh, I'm going to start then with uh, War Elephants. All right. Which, which is uh, a pretty. Pretty popular uh, cavalry unit, anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Elephants have long been used in war uh, because you know they're gigantic and strong and fearsome. Elephants were often sent out in front of an army because they are terrifying to an enemy who has never seen something like this. Yeah. Plus, even if you have seen them, they're they're huge. You've got you know two or three guys on top, raining arrows down. Uh, yelling, who knows what they've got up there, but like the, uh, the elephant's tusks would have scimitars on them or, yeah. you know, some kind of, uh, barbed, uh, maces, like they, they, they were weapons all over. Like they were the whole 
elephant was a weapon. They basically. were the tanks of the ancient world. They were, yeah. But if you kill them, it still only counts as one. He said as I slid down an elephant's trunk. <laughs> as, as if skateboarding for the children. So they go back in military usage, usage as early as 1100 BCE. And we get that from uh, Sanskrit uh, writings at the time talking about them. Now, something you might uh, be surprised at, up until the 20th century, people used elephants. And that's, I mean, that's a long ass time. Yeah, that's later than I would have thought. Yeah. But them doing this episode, I was like, whoa, wrong again, idiot named me. (laughs) And since it got into the modern era and you're still using elephants alongside new technologies such as i don't know gatling guns and cannons right you put you put that stuff on top of an elephant and that's like a living tank like you said early muskets didn't do much to them cuz their thin, their skin's so thick and uh uh it was hard to take them down if you were just a regular infantry uh of the opposing side it's I mean, next to impossible. What do you got? Spears? That's probably the best thing you got. And it takes a lot of them and to, to take an elephant down. But uh, they're good at uh, overcoming difficult terrain, especially, you know, if a, if a vehicle can't get somewhere, an elephant might be able to. Right. I mean, just ask the Romans. Right. Oh, yeah. Punic Wars! And, oh, that's that's the thing. Yeah, you you know of old Hannibal just getting the drop on, on some Romans with, with elephants. But um, they're not only like war machines. They're also like engineering machines. Yeah. <laughs> they, uh, they help because they're so strong and smart. You know, they've, they've built bridges. They transport goods. Uh, this was a, even up until World War World War Two. Yep. And um, there are even reports of elephants being used. Back in 1987, uh, by the uh, Iraqi to move heavy weaponry. So, man, yeah, elephants are very, it's amazing how smart elephants are. And it seems like it's coming out more and more lately. I keep seeing in particular videos. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, people being like, look how, like, compassionate elephants are. Look, you you know, people have observed how they... uh, act socially and what they're capable of and it's like elephants are are friggin amazing yeah they really are and it's and you're right there are so many more examples i mean even there was some research a few years ago that elephants can communicate using ultra low frequencies through the ground Mm. i mean like they are amazing animals and it honestly the more i learn the more it makes me feel terrible because we have not been kind to elephants and continue not to be so which everybody knows, and we're all terrible people for it. So yeah, uh, elephants—pretty powerful, uh, p- pretty powerful thing. When you can get a a tank-like creature yeah. that also inspires fear and oh yeah, and just just from its 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 appearance, you're right. And even over history, few people ever moved more than a few miles from where they lived. So when an army goes on the move, these guys have never seen this before, and that has yeah. got to be horrifying oh yeah but dave they weren't uh they weren't immune to everything no they were not my friend <laughs> no they were not at all uh, so which leads us to our, our our next uh historical war animal war pigs 
Yeah. <laughs> Aside from being one of Sabbath's most badass hits, uh, the use of war pigs has quite a history itself, and it it never it never works out as well for the pig as it does. I mean, it never works out for anybody. But at least the <laughs> elephants were getting like armor and weapons and stuff. Uh, the pigs, not so much. Yeah, I actually have one of the ways uh, that it uh, was kind of a pain in the ass for the pigs. <laughs> Even back in the old BCEs, armies would keep pigs and starve them for days until these these pigs just went insane with hunger. God. <laughs> and then they they just sneak up to an enemy camp and just let them loose yeah. in these camps. And uh, the, the pigs would just eat everything. They would do food, supplies, weapons, people's legs, and shit. Like, oh, <laughs> and and you know, if the, if you get the right size pig, they're huge. Yeah, they are gigantic. And they're and, they're strong and stubborn and I, assholes. And I kind of also imagine a number of like Chief Wiggum situations. Where the minute they let the pigs go, they just run right back at the people who starved them. I can't imagine that went off without a hitch every time. Oh, yeah. And I hope, oh, yeah. I hope that's how it worked out sometimes. <laughs> well, I, and I honestly, like, at least in that scenario, the pigs are, like, out front. They're, they're, they're getting it done for themselves. As we said, you know, the use of war elephants was well established. Yeah. Far back in history. Well before the ADs. And... Uh, Fortunately for the Romans, the use of Pliny the Elder was also well established. Uh oh. As the telling Bonance. of it goes, <laughs> I almost just went, I, 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 wrong one, wrong one. Um, oh, Lord, yeah. Yeah. Pliny, yeah. <laughs> the enemies of the Roman Empire would regularly bring elephants to bear. And one of the greatest military secrets that, as, as the telling goes, Alexander the Great brought back from India was the secret sauce for defeating enemy war elephants. And it turns out that not only uh, that this, this, this secret made its way to Pliny the Elder, who then made it known to the Roman generals that elephants were terrified of the sound of a squealing pig. And they even performed tests on this. And they were like, holy shit, this works. Not only squealing pigs, but also um, horned rams. Mm. These are, again, it's kind of working in reverse. These are animals that maybe the elephants haven't really encountered all that often. Sure. And so um, uh, Pliny the Elder is credited as sort of disseminating this information amongst the Romans as a great, hey, here's how you defeat an oncoming war elephant. Uh, and so what I see here, it's like in 275 BC, according to the historian Procopius, they covered pigs in like pitch and straw and oil, oh. slathered them up, tied a rope to them, lit them on fire and just dangled them outside the walls of the city. Oh, geez. And which, and the sound that they made then drove the, the elephants off. Or, or, or can it drive anybody with a fucking soul off. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's not elephants only here. Oh. Yeah. And 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 here's the thing is that you get this secondary effect is that if you're marching up an army with war elephants, 
if those elephants go off the rails, they're surrounded by that enemy's army. Yeah. Suddenly, you've, those elephants are working for the other side, even if they don't want to. <laughs> suddenly, suddenly, you've got cornrows. Yeah, exactly. So it was a it was a hell of a thing to like to be able to route armies using the this 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 burning pig method. Oh my god! Um, and and the funny thing is, when I was doing my research, I was like, "Oh, that's a great example." Moving, on. oh, not so fast because the, the plight of pigs in warfare continues on. In 1275, King John, after seven weeks of of laying continuous siege to Rochester Castle, and I'm talking using siege engines, soldiers, keep trying to breach this thing. Finally, they turned to sappers, which were people who would tunnel underneath the walls of a castle. Mm -hmm. Sappers are able to get part of that wall taken down, allow the soldiers to come in. And the guys inside Rochester Castle were like, ha ha, suck it. We're just going to go to the keep. Did I mention this is the most defensible keep in all of Anguland? So, boom, whole thing starts over again. With the siege engines and the explosions and the and the <laughs> soldiers, nothing. These guys are like, F off, eh? We've got no interest. We've also got no food, <laughs> but who cares? Well, that's the thing. <laughs> Apparently, they were pretty well supplied. Like, these guys weren't going anywhere. So uh, King John orders his sappers to tunnel under a section of the wall, then get uh, 40 of the fattest pigs he can find. But King John, not being an idiot, was like 40 of the fattest fattest pigs that wouldn't be good for eating let's not be stupid here the worst eatenest fattest pigs you can find and they just dug this tunnel and crammed it full of fat ass pig carcasses then they lit them on fire so you've got this like super enclosed high temperature grease fire oh my god yeah which i can imagine smelled terrific so oh. not only is it making this keep real warm, it gets so hot, it cracks the actual foundations of the keep walls itself. Oh, wow. The keep walls crumble, bowl outwards. King John's soldiers run in, r- scare everyone into, because, I mean, this keep, man, I don't, it was like a Russian nesting doll. Then they retreat to another part further within inside the keep. But at that <laughs> point, the game was up, and they were able to, like, get them to surrender shortly thereafter. But they had to use these pigs as this weird incendiary grease palm. And and even oh then, gosh. before and after that, pigs well established in use as like homebrew bioweapons. You yeah. just load a rotting, gross-ass pig into a catapult, hurl it over the wall, well, lob it over the, the structure into the garrison inside, and then just let disease take its course. Yeah, they did that with cows as well. Yeah. And and then eventually yeah. graduating to like, why even wait for this? There's plenty of people with the plague around. Let's just lob those fuckers over the bodies, wall too. Yeah. yeah. So at least a, at one point, a little uh, uh, equality there. Everyone's getting hurled over the wall. <laughs> but I'm, I mean, just fascinating that these guys never like the pig was never like a heroic weapon. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, even when they got to do the attacking, they were starved into it. I'm starting to feel like the 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 documentary of the Hobbit was not entirely accurate. <laughs> What's atrocious about this? Not only is the inhumane treatment of these these poor animals, but like this is not going to be the only 
example we see of of an animal getting lit on fire and used as a weapon. No, that if if there is one thread that pulls all this together, it's animals being lit on fire. Ugh. Yeah, it's a terrible thread. At least the uh, the grease pit had dead pigs. Yeah, they were dead yeah. first. That's the one time the pigs got to die before they were set on fire. Whoa. What do you got next, Laura? Oh, Lord, yeah. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. Strong bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, speaking of lobbing, lobbing things into others and, and having it not go well for them, uh, going back to our buddy Hannibal, he not only used the elephants to his advantage, uh, but he had other animal military tactics too, like when he took command of a fleet on behalf of Precious the First of Bithynia, which I have not actually heard of before. Yeah, who was at war with a lot of Rome's allies, and Hannibal's forces were outnumbered by the Roman navy. Because, you know, they had the money, they had the ships, it was huge. Uh, actually, Rome wasn't that that great navally, were they? No, they, they got themselves into trouble more often than not. Yeah, but uh, compared to, I guess, Precious of Bithynia, yeah. <laughs> they, they were pretty imposing. But what he did was he loaded up vases and pots with venomous snakes, put them onto the boats... And then as soon as he got into uh, range, he just let him have it with a broadside of these snake pots. <laughs> and so it wasn't so much the impact of a pot or a snake body hitting somebody in the face, but then you have a ship full of venomous snakes. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of brilliant because it sucks to get hit with a clay pot. It sucks to get hit by a snake, but the snakes don't go anywhere. They're, they're there. That's the other common thread with this is as as awful as it is, a lot of these militarily are genius ideas. They're terrible, 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 and, and they should never have been done and should never be done again. But boy, were they effective once they were done. <laughs> and uh, uh, and then the, the leader of the, the Navy retreated, uh, obviously, because he was like, F*** this, he yeah. takes them out. Yes, he was like, F*** this. And he'll never, he died screaming that with a, a poisonous snake in his pants. Hanging, yeah, hanging off of his ass. Uh, and Hannibal won but because of this. Now, I, I there may have been other instances of, of snake bombs being used, but there was, in the Middle Ages, um, an emperor, Leo the Wise. He was a Byzantine emperor, and he used the same tactic only with scorpions. So, yeah, just load up some kind of venomous uh, creature into, into an easily breakable vessel. <laughs> just go throw it at, at people. And we'll get back to to something like this as well uh, a little later. But oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, like how about that? Have you ever heard of <laughs> something like? Doesn't that make sense though? Just militarily, <laughs> yeah. like in the world, it's it's horrible. Please, please don't mistake that. But like, if you're trying to rout the enemy, throwing pots of snakes on them, come on, that's. It's a no-brainer. It of is. Course. It, it, yeah, it's effective and probably cost-effective too. That is that is yeah. that is magnificent. 
<laughs> you know, I mean, maybe only works when you're at sea because there's nowhere to go. <laughs> That's true. There's no way it's coming but, back on you. But yeah, on yeah. land, you're like, oh, so now we just captured their camp. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right. I, I, here, here's a here's a another uh, potentially verminous solution to pesky wartime problems. <laughs> and again, fortunately, in this case, the animal is predeceased, preceased. Okay. Posthumous. <laughs> exactly. Posthumous. Uh, in World War II, there was a plan by the British government to develop a weapon that. Uh, special operations operatives behind German lines, people that had blended in with the population, um, you know, doing uh, a resistance work, things like that could use to maximize their small amount of supplies. You know, if you wanted to blow up a train or a building, you know, that takes a lot of uh, explosives and you can't, you know, keep it on the DL while with you have a horse cart full of uh, TNT. And so their idea was this. You take small amounts of C4 and you put them inside of a rat carcass. Then you leave that rat, that dead rat, next to the boiler in a building or in the front of a a train car, where the most convenient way to get rid of it is just to chuck it in the boiler, let it burn off, moving on. Then that small amount of C4, certainly not enough to take out a building on its own, but it sets off the boiler which does kill a lot of people, which could take out the building or a train. And uh, so that was their idea. So they had actually made a shipment of these uh, and uh, set them over to be distributed uh, amongst the, uh, the war front, except the Germans captured them. Oh, <laughs> yeah. They were like, oh, so this is what you're doing. And not, so none of them got, got any play at all. Um, no, but. Here's the funny thing is that so the Germans took these like, holy crap, this is what they're doing. So they took them back. They were uh, they exhibited these rats at like the military schools and everything. And uh, as I'm looking at just the the sort of wrap up for this quick, this little story is that um, the uh, special operations executive branch of the British government determined that having the Germans find out about them caused them a much larger disruption than if they had actually been deployed because now the Germans were looking everywhere. They were conducting these giant sweeps for exploding rats and trying to figure out, crap, these things got to be everywhere. Everything's going to blow up tomorrow. <laughs> and so it turned out that getting them captured was a much better disruption than had they made it through and blown up a few things. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. So I thought, uh, that, I thought that, was a, that was a cool little tiny story that I found on our friend Wikipedia. Did I read it directly? Pretty much. What are you going to do? Come get me? Try and find me. I live in Iowa. You'll never find me here. My name's Dave Stecco. Suck it. <laughs> I wish they could see you fade back into, into <laughs> yeah, the dark. I did a real cool fade lean for the camera. <laughs> You'll never know. You know what they needed? Hmm. They, what they needed for these, these little rats? Huh? They needed war cats. Battle cats? Battle cats. Do you remember that? Uh, the, what was that called? Was it called Battle Cats? That one of the world's best, the, the SNL commercial about armor you can buy for your cats. <laughs> it was one of the one of the best things because it didn't have like uh, a really direct like character based joke in it. It was just a really earnest commercial for armor you could put on cats. <laughs> I fucking loved that. Well, 
you know, you'll you'll hear stories about uh, cats being on ships and stuff. You know, being uh, uh, helping get rid of vermin and generally boosting morale and such. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there's actually a story that uh, goes back to 525 BCE. Heyo. Yeah, and uh, there's a fellow by the name of Cambyses II who wanted to uh, invade Egypt to exact revenge over Pharaoh Semitic, who had sent him a random woman for the Persian leader to marry when it was supposed to be the Pharaoh's daughter, damn it. What? You sent me a rando when I was trying to get a daughter? You know, it was actually actually the former Pharaoh's daughter (laughs) that he sent. And she was pissed, and she's the one who told Cambyses, or Cambyses, Cambyses, Cam- whatever, Cambyses. whatever his damn name is, he was pissed, and the women were pissed, and, and like, it, yeah, everybody was all mad. So, uh, <laughs> once he found out, he was like, you know what, I'm going, I'm going over there, I'm going to smack some assholes up, <laughs> and I'm going to get, I'm going to get me the daughter I was promised. And so the Battle of Pelusium took place in 525. Was it a Battle Palooza? It was, a, and it was a Battle Palooza. It was hot. <laughs> was anyone uh, was anyone offering red hot chili peppers for sale? <laughs> they were. They were. Wasn't quite warped though. Oh. <laughs> so uh, Pharaoh Semitech believed that his fortress was invincible. What? Oh, yeah. Traditional fighting would not allow the Persian army to successfully take it. So, Cambyses, man, I did not look up how to pronounce this. Cambyses, Cambyses, uh, had the goddess Bastet painted on his soldiers' shields and, quote, ranged before his front line dogs, sheep, cats, ibises, and whatever other animals the Egyptians hold dear. And so he was aware of the strong reverence to cats by the Egyptian people and uh, thought that their warriors might not attack them for fear of harming the animals. And guess what? They sure as shit did not. <laughs> really? The, the, the plan worked perfectly. And uh, they, the Egyptian archers, they didn't want to risk the you know afterlife punishment uh, that went along with injuring a cat. And so they... <laughs> <laughs> they didn't do any fighting, and Cam- Cambyses and his army just marched right in and, and took the fortress. <laughs> Can you imagine just having a bunch of bunch of fucking animals running in front of the army? <laughs> if, <laughs> yeah, I, I think if I've I got a go clear over, shot. Nope, no, nope, nope. What if it slips? What if it slips? <laughs> what if, ah, what so if thy awkward. aim is not true? Oh, and you know what? There was one guy who was like, you curs, they're going to run us over. And he shoots, boom, right through a cat. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And then everybody stones him. Yeah, exactly. You know that one guy was like, no, I got this. And then he totally pegged an animal and everyone was like, <laughs> You're in so much trouble. <laughs> oh, that's glorious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it didn't say didn't say anything about um the animals getting slaughtered in that one, so that that one might be a <laughs> Yeah. 
that's a, a good fun, one. More that's fun a story. Gosh, we maybe we should have ended with that one because I, I don't. I don't. Wait, no, I've <laughs> I've got one with a good ending too. Should, oh, okay, should we save okay. it for the well, last one? Yeah, sure. Let's save okay. it. Okay, let's have one good. Let's have a good disc out there. All right. Yeah. Good news. We're not there yet. <laughs> oh, I didn't tell you. I've I found a, a ghost story in one of one of these uh, historical Bing Bangs. So we'll we'll get to that when we do. But yeah, that's uh, that's <laughs> that's even even cats have been used to great effect. And cats don't like to be used for anything. <laughs> no, they don't. How did you get the cats in front of the army? <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Uh, how about this one? How about this is an interesting story. So it's World War II. You're President Roosevelt. And oh what, you, there's nothing you want to do more than set Japan on fire. The problem is, is it's, it's, it's tough to get to. It's tough to do. So don't worry. You're the president. You got a couple of irons in the fire. And maybe before you go to bed, you're, you're talking to your wife, Eleanor, who curiously has her own bed, but it's fine. Whatever. Don't worry. History will never figure it out. <laughs> and she casually mentions, you know, I have a friend who's a dentist who had a pretty good idea the other day. <laughs> and, and he said, like, what? She said, well, I got this friend named Little Adams. Or is it Lytle? Lytle Adams? L-Y-T-L-E. Adams. I guess, I, I guess Lytle, yeah. Yeah, let's go with Lytle. Okay. I don't, don't want to have to owe little Nichols any money on this, okay? <laughs> Lytle Nichols. <laughs> yeah, Lytle or is Adams. It little little Nichols. <laughs> Still too close, man. That's, that's lawsuit territory. <laughs> Knock it off. He's, little Nichols is litigious AF, brah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Lytle Adams has this great idea. Why don't you attach tiny, tiny incendiary devices to thousands of bats, which, as everyone knows, love to roost in the eaves of houses and belfries. Every, every, every nook and cranny that a building has is where a bat wants to spend the night. And Japan has lots of spooky places. <laughs> yes, they do. They'll get all up in those pagodas. <laughs> up, up in the pagodas. <laughs> oh, I feel like that's the title of a Diggy Toots album. Up in that pagoda. <laughs> 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 Jiggy Toots. Jiggy up in the pagoda. Jiggy Toots. That went nowhere. Yeah. So uh, the president loves this idea, thinks it's a great idea. Great way to start a whole bunch of fires. So then they turn that over to the World War II Exhibit Institute where he was then like, hey, how about we take tiny bombs and attach them to bats, then put those bat bombs inside bigger bombs. Then, dog, we drop those bombs. <laughs> uh, and so they created this really thorough system in which a bomb holds thousands of bats, which are then dropped out of an airplane. The bats are deployed they fly out and do their business, and then they, you know, re-aggregate in the eaves of buildings. But they have this time-delayed incendiary b- bomb strapped to them so that when they get to where they're going, it starts thousands of tiny little fires is the theory. <laughs> so they, the, uh, the president thinks it's a great idea, and so they start testing it. And so one of the first things that happened at the Carlsbad Army Airfield is uh, – the test failed utterly in that somebody accidentally released a bunch of these bats. 
They instantly roosted under like a fuel tank. Oh my God. And they burned the entire testing field down. I would call that a giant success. Um, the, the the army, uh, however, the did end not. goal was to burn everything down. What did they do? Yeah. They immediately burned everything down. Scrap it. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. So the army was like, "No thanks. You don't burn our testing field and get a part in this man's army." Maybe those boat boys in the navy want to take a crack at it. So it gets passed on to the navy. The oh, navy looks it over, thinks, you know what? This thing's missing. Little hats. A sweet ass name. We're gonna call it Project Project X Ray. Oh god. That was as far as the navy was willing to push this subject. So, like just about everything the navy has that they don't want, they gave it to the Marines. So now the Marines have Project X-Ray. The Marines were like, fire bats? Yeah, they were simplified all over that shit. So they even went so far as to make a fake Japanese village. (laughs) Your tax money at work. Yeah, they did this. So they built this fake Japanese city in Utah. They wire up a bunch of bats. They send them out there. And those bats fuck shit up. They are (laughs) super effective. They realized that, like uh, a modern uh, at that time, a, a an incendiary bomb could be dropped, and it might start at best a couple of hundred fires. Wow! One of these Project X-ray bat bombs could start between three and five thousand fires. Oh my gosh! Like because each one is very small, but you have to be watching everywhere all the time. Yeah, and so they were like, "This is working out great," and finally. This thing's gaining some speed. The government spent like $2 million on this project. The people who are in charge of testing it and overseeing the project are like, this is a great viable weapon. Like this could totally work in Japan. Then word gets out that those eggheads in Los Alamos are working on some sort of project too. So project X-ray gets canceled so that these guys in their, their nerd bomb, which will never come to anything, right? Oh, man. So it got canceled because it turns out that in order for this project, they said it would be fully ready to deploy by mid-1945. So the only reason that they never did it is that... um, It was like a year too late? Yeah. The Manhattan Project was winning the horse race, and they're like, well... uh, uh, we, we got this, we got this amazing future bomb here. That's going to scare the shit out of everyone for the next thousand years. And, uh, so they canceled it. They canceled project X-ray and we never actually deployed fire bats. Wow. But it looks like it was on, on the fast track to, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, work, if, if the war it. had continued on, if the time, you know, if everything had just kept marching on and if, uh, the Manhattan project wasn't going as well as it was, they would have done it because they. They just had already spent a ton of money on it. They're like, well, we're, we're, you know, we don't need to build the same bomb twice, which is the only time in history they've ever said that. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, it's, it's actually kind of a, a, a crazy story uh, about these, uh, these tiny incendiary devices and the Mexican uh, free-tailed bat. Now, I mean, obviously, it, it kills the bat with it, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the bat, it doesn't work out for the bat. Yeah. Well, man, what a world. What, how would have, how would the future have changed 
if this won that race? I'll tell you what. Uh, I don't think wildly so because the thing was is the U.S. had already we are we were well versed in firebombing. I mean we we did far worse to Dresden. Um, we were good at it. The difference was that Dresden was within range and Japan wasn't. So they were looking for ways to have these, these multiplicative effects. I mean, if, if we had deployed fire bats instead of an atomic bomb, who's to say how that would have affected things there, but it wouldn't have stopped other countries from that research. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like we would never have gotten it, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know that it would have had that, the effect of bringing the war to a close as quickly as it did. And I, I heard a statistic once and I I've never actually verified it. So take it with a grain of salt that even up into the nineties and maybe to this day, for all I know, the United States had made so many purple hearts in anticipation of a land invasion of Japan that they had such a stockpile that all decades and decades later, they were still giving out those purple hearts for every other conflict thereafter because they were anticipating so many uh, casualties. Wow. So yeah, crazy, crazy weird. I mean, just the, the idea of how far people were willing to go to, to come up with novel ways of, of, of winning the war of, of, of attacking the enemy. It's just, just a crazy weird story. But uh, that is true. Yeah. the only hero in this story is the Navy who never heard a bat, but did come up with a really great name. <laughs> I wonder where they got X-ray from. Yeah, I don't know. Just somebody was just like, hey, what's awesome? X-rays, perfect. Yeah. Well, I'll, uh, I'll jump us to the food of bats. Yeah. And talk about how insects have been used. Sweet. Not all bats eat insects, obviously, but first of all, one way to really mess with an army is to really mess with their food supply. Yeah, yeah. And in the early 1950s, a lot of East German press reports of cases in which planes flying overhead had been followed by plagues of potato beetles, which were previously uncommon in the region and seriously threatened the already strained food supplies. And, uh, of course, politicians over there decried it a criminal attack by American imperialist warmongers and then started aggressive propaganda uh, on how to teach children to eradicate the pests one by one. Uh Uh-huh. French armies had uh, considered importing beetles from the U.S. and dropping them over Germany after World War I, but then they they, uh, abandoned it. Because they thought, well, maybe they'll make their way over to France's agriculture. (laughs) And then uh, German military researchers thought about uh, dropping these potato beetles uh, in 1943. But then it just never, never went through. It was, it was lower on the price. They, they started working on some bell instead. (laughs) Tee hee. But yeah, do you, do you know a lot about the Colorado potato beetle? I do. I do. I actually, I could, I could draw you one. They're little oh. black and yellow striped goo Draw me like one of your beetles. Apparently they're pretty devastating. Yeah. Yeah. They, they are voracious eaters. Another way, if you don't want to mess with food, just mess with people's psyches. <laughs> Make them really friggin' annoyed <laughs> by dropping 
uh, a ton of fleas on them. Oh, I can see that. I mean, obviously, you know, big carriers of the old Black Plague. Uh, why not use them as a delivery system for disease or at least just really piss people off? So Operation Big Itch used uninfected fleas to determine the coverage patterns and the suitability of the tropical rat flea in terms of survival and how they fared. They conducted some field trials at Dugway Proving Ground in Utah in 1954. This is the U.S. military. And what they did is they they put guinea pigs at, like literal guinea pigs, not like uh, not like interns, at stations along a 660-yard circular grid, and then they would they would see what how I guess how the guinea pigs reacted to trace where the fleas went, uh, and these bombs that they made apparently could hold two hundred thousand fleas each. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, and the test reportedly showed that the fleas could survive the drop and would soon attach themselves to animal hosts on the ground. Now, the problem was some of the canisters would come open while still in the air, and in addition to the, uh, quote, poor patriotic guinea pigs on the ground, the pilot, bombardier, and observers on the plane were also bitten many times. <laughs> this is the Chief Wiggum that I was looking for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, it's so dumb. Now, one thing that was actually pretty practical and has been apparently in use since, you know, Paleolithic times even, uh, uh, perhaps, when people like to make their homes in caves and rock shelters they would often only have one one avenue for egress dave and if someone was standing in that egress with a beehive uh-huh. <laughs> there's gonna be trouble. i'm listening <laughs> <laughs> at that point if you saw somebody hurling a beehive or wasp nest into your cave with you mm-hmm. you were pretty effed up from the cleft up. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you know, if, if you pacify them with some smoke, uh, put them in a bag mm-hmm. and then, uh, and then get your, get your throwing arm ready. <laughs> <laughs> you can really, really cause some trouble. And, um, uh, apparently they featured multiple times in the third Mithridatic war, which I have never heard of, but, uh, was, 73 to 63 BCE between Rome and the kingdom of Pontus. Yeah. Learning a lot here. I'm telling you, um, man, that, that history of Rome podcast. I've been listening to it. Actually two things. What's that? I've been listening to it. Actually. Oh, awesome. I'm up through Cincinnati. I was going to say, there's two things you need to know about that. One, it's fascinating Two, They need your editing skills. They, they need your produ- professional production skills so badly. <laughs> oh, I think it's pretty good. Just give it some time. He's okay. He's he's a a brilliant guy who does an amazing job, but he is no David Flora when it comes to to <laughs> quality sound production. <laughs> yeah. Uh so so during several sieges, Roman sappers were driven back. Could you say that fast five of, times? <laughs> during several, during sieges. several sieges, Roman sappers were driven back by swarms of bees released into their tunnels. While another Roman army led by Pompey was undone when it unknowingly gorged itself on toxic honey. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, 
uh, uh, Wicker Man, not the beast sound. Sound. Oh, no, not the beast! Not the beast! Ah! Oh, no, my eyes! Keep loading that cannon. (laughs) Right? The Romans evidently learned from experience as their tendency to use beehives as projectiles led to a shortage of honey in the latter years of the empire. (laughs) Uh, And they they continued bees, bees and bee launching beehives continued to be utilized in war by such um, luminaries as Henry I, Richard the Lionheart during the Third Crusade. And even as late as the 18th century, bees were used by the Habsburg forces defending Belgrade against the Ottomans. I, they should be. What about, what about the dogs with bees in their mouths? And when they bark, they spit bees at you. Those are released in special occasions. Oh, okay. Like when you have an employee at your house. <laughs> in 1994, the U.S. Air Force started an initiative to develop non-lethal weapons for use in combat. And one of the proposals... Uh, entitled Harassing, Annoying, and Bad Guy Identifying Chemicals, uh, was uh, was a project that wouldn't kill the enemy, just make them annoyed. For example, one of them would contain pheromones to attract bees or wasps to sting enemy soldiers. So you drop a bomb full of pheromones yeah. on them. Apparently, another one of these chemicals would uh, inflict the enemy with severe and lasting halitosis. What? Yeah, it gets a little, it, it gets like exponentially off the rails here. Yeah. Uh, because the third, the third chemical, they said, use strong aphrodisiacs uh-huh. that, quote, caused homosexual behavior. <laughs> oh, God. You know how you know that's bullshit because that would be bigger than Amazon. That would be the number one business on the planet. Yeah, I, I it's it's pretty pretty silly that if you, you could, have uh, if you could literally gay bomb a situation, which I would do, absolutely, <laughs> that would be amazing. You could oh, solve man. a lot of like, you could solve a lot of world problems with a bomb of that power. That's true. I mean, drop it in Congress right now, right? Okay, that's a threat against the United States government, and I won't stand for it, Flora. Just okay. putting that out there. <laughs> Last little thing here, um, in World War One, you wouldn't think of it, but uh, they actually used the European glowworm in the trenches because it emits light through bioluminescence. Yeah. And they would use these in jars by the thousands, which, you know, allowed them to, to read or see. Or, uh, according to a 2010 study, just 10 glowworms can provide the same amount of illumination as a modern-day roadway light. How about that? Yeah. I mean, that's I, I read that up as well, and I, I kind of want to see. Actually, I'm going to pull up a picture here because I didn't do that, and that's a European glowworm. Lampyris noctiluca, or noctilica. It is pretty damn bright. That's impressive. We have lightning bugs out here, but the, you would have to get like a wheelbarrow full of them to get a significant amount of light out of them. The glowworms that are in caves... I learned are actually maggots yeah. that uh, secrete uh, this as waste. And uh, the brighter it glows, the hungrier it, it is because it attracts other insects that, that it then eats before turning into a, a fly of its own. 
Is that uh, is that from your uh, trip to New Zealand? Actually, it is. Yeah, I went to the old uh, Waitomo Glow Warden Cave. Nice, I. All right, so that thus ends my insect section. <laughs> oh, the insect <laughs> or my insection. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I mean, as long as you're talking bees, Flora, then I'm gonna absolutely have to. You know, what's what's a it's a beehive without a bear to slap around it, right? Bears, mm-hmm. bears, beads, beads, bears, bears beats Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> <laughs> the correct answer to which bear is best is Wojtek, the Polish artillery bear. Uh, this is kind of an amazing story. Wojtek, the Polish artillery bear, is a Syrian brown bear um, that was purchased on the side of the road uh, by the <laughs> Polish Second Corps in uh, Iran during uh, World War II. Um, the Polish had uh, been evacuated out of uh, the Soviet Union area, and they were making their way through Persia down into the uh, Middle East, and they picked up this bear who they kind of wanted to keep with them, and <laughs> they figured out the best way in order to do that to make sure that uh, they could transport them and feed them and everything is that they completely enlisted this bear as a soldier as, at the rank of private. <laughs> and here's the thing. Wojtek the bear got promotions <laughs> um, and the Wojtek actually traveled with this military unit and this unit, like it is like, if you track like the way they traveled on a map, I mean, it is a crazy ride through like the middle East and the Mediterranean. Um, like I said, this is a Polish unit picked up, picks up the bear in Iran, gets to Egypt hangs out there for a while, then starts fighting its way through Italy. And that's where things got really uh, uh, dicey for them. And they, this is, this is the, the most famous portion of, of Wojtek's story is the battle for Monte Cassino, which was uh, in 1944 in Italy because it was a very well-documented war. And people see this bear spent all of its time with these soldiers. It wrestled around with them. They'd feed them beer and cigarettes and everything that bad people do to good animals. They wrestled. They were like best friends. And Wojtek carried artillery shells, like this, these big, heavy shells, because it was an artillery unit. They trained the bear to do a job. Hell, it was enlisted. It had better do its job. And so uh, so this bear, Wojtek, uh, which became sort of famous because it's, as I'm, as I'm looking this over, it's apparently in Polish, it translates to um, either a joyful warrior or one who enjoys war. So this bear is, uh, is sort of a hero to the Polish people and to in, in World War II in general. And uh, after the, this thing was actually literally mustered out of the army, like Wojtek enjoyed an actual military career and ended up in a zoo in Scotland. Mm. And uh, it's just, it's a fascinating story about this bear. And uh, the, uh, he be, this, this bear carrying the artillery shell became the uh, unit insignia for the 22nd artillery company. There are statues to Wojtek uh, <laughs> in a couple of different parts of the world. There've been documentaries about it where they refuse to say his name. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to make sure I was getting the pronunciation correct and they would not say it, it was making me crazy. Anyway, just a fascinating story about this bear who uh, usually when you train a bear for war, uh, that bear's going to turn on you. It's not going to work out. But it did like, and they, there is so much footage of this bear by all means, take some time, look it up online. Uh, it is fascinating. I, 
I feel bad because we've got so many cool things to get through that I feel like I'm giving this sort of short shrift. I don't want to short his shrift, but uh, seriously, look it up and watch guys just hanging out with uh, Wojtek, the artillery bear. It's magnificent. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. What do you got, Flora? All right, Dave. From Wojtek and amazing use of a, a Polish artillery bear to a sinister Dr. Moreau-esque foray into madness from the Russians. Now, uh, in anybody who uh, is fans also of the Eastern Border podcast will recognize uh, this next story as I was a guest on Kristoff's show and talked about it with yeah. him and Chris from the Mad Scientist podcast. But Stalin's human Z's is yeah. what I'm going to talk about next because this is this is such an odd urban legend really it's it's kind of a, a military urban legend but there was a real effort to create human chimpanzee hybrids in the Soviet Union in the early 20th century and this effort was led by biologist Ilya Ivanovich Ivanov who specialized in artificial insemination and he became renowned for his success in horse breeding with this method and went on to prove the possibility of interspecies breeding, uh, successfully breeding hybrids of a zebra and a donkey, a rat and a mouse, oh, a mouse and a guinea pig, and an antelope and a cow, which obviously would be called a cowtelope. Yeah, absolutely. Cowtelope. And, you know, when you when you hear stories of this, you usually come across that Stalin wanted Ivanov to use these amazing interspecies skills to create, quote, a new invincible human being, insensitive to pain, resistant, and indifferent about the quality of food they eat. So it wanted, it wanted college freshmen? That's right. And it would come in the form of human-ape hybrids an army-sized planet of apes to muscle in a new Soviet society across the globe. Gloriousness. Now, I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but Ivanov did move forward with his experiments to artificially inseminate female chimps with human sperm. And after failing with several female chimps, he decided, well, maybe it's the other way. That might be the ticket. Uh. And he actually got human volunteers to agree no. to attempt insemination with male ape sperm. No. Glory to Arstotska. You know, some, some accounts say that his last male ape, which was an orangutan, died before he could get a sperm sample, but some say he was able to get more apes and did go through with it, only to be met with failure yet again. In either event, the government got tired of his bullshit in 1930, and he was arrested and sentenced to five years exile in Alma-Ada in the Great Purge. And then he died of a stroke two years later. So, that brings me back to Stalin's involvement. Now, the whole story about him wanting a damn dirty ape army was almost certainly completely fabricated by a tabloid article in 2003 and retooled by the Scotsman newspaper Aye. in 2005. Like it does. It has been picked up by creationist sites as evidence that evolution is a lie and pretty much lives there now. Although, here's a little kernel of twisted truth for you, Dave. 
Stalin apparently did commission Ivanov to find a way to create a hybrid in order to prove evolution and disprove religion. But Darwinism in Stalin's time is something that somebody else can talk about. Because <laughs> yeah, no it's shit. pretty yeah. convoluted. So, humanzies didn't happen, thankfully. Or we'd all be in cages in trees. <laughs> yeah, good God. Yeah, we absolutely would be. And Andy Serkis would be our, our new overlord. That's right. Waiting for Mark Wahlberg to rescue us or Shia LaBeouf or whoever the hell they got doing it these days. Fra- Franco, James Franco. <laughs> Put them all in there. Get them all. <laughs> whoever, whoever you can get. I said all of them. Dude, that's... But the main, ugh. Yeah, I, I'll be. I'll tell you what. I am surprised there is not more like movies or fiction written about that. Yeah, because that's that's all. That's got all the the red flags for like a really horrifying sci-fi horror Nazis return movie. That's true. Maybe it has been done. We just are are too sheltered in our <laughs> yeah. Our well, if, it, if it's not on Netflix, I'll never know about it. <laughs> Basic Dave. <laughs> That's a new character, Basic Dave. Jeez. From the from the, the, the horror science of yours to something a little cleaner, a little crisper, a little, little more woodsy. <laughs> How about Moose Cavalry? Oh. Which <laughs> is brilliant. Uh, so the late 17th century saw Sweden working to secure its recently acquired empire from hostile neighbors, which would eventually trigger the Scanian Wars between 1675 and, and 1679 and the Great Northern War of 1700 through 1721. According to legend, Swedish King Charles XI was open to military innovation, namely the idea of a moose cavalry, which would terrify people. That's oh, brilliant. I love it. Moose are humongous. Yeah, it was not a ridiculous scheme. Moose were already used to pull sleighs uh, in the Swedish courier service and were better suited than horses to the climate. And in fact, moose were commonly used as mounts in Siberia, where they were capable of outrunning Cossacks, which at that point, I mean, what couldn't outrun a Cossack at that point? <laughs> I mean, they're, they're not mystically fast. This irked Tsar Ivan the Terrible so much that he exterminated the Siberian neighbor, uh, natives and banned moose husbandry. <laughs> he did not like these guys having uh, the tactical advantage on his little uh, thug patrol. So allegedly, according to the story, the Swedes achieved some success and were able to train and ride moose themselves. However, the moose's vulnerability to livestock diseases, fear of gunfire, and tendency to terrify every horse in the vicinity uh, sort of threw the project off its kilter. <laughs> and, and this idea, sorry, Ivan, you f***ed it up because in modern times, the Soviets, uh, the Soviet army experimented with war moose in the thirties, but they weren't ready, uh, for the outbreak of the winter war. And they never actually saw any action. They just could not get them damn moose to behave, which is kind of like, that's a kind of tragic story to me that like, there were these, these, they were like, it's like dragon riders, but for moose. <laughs> and they got wiped out. Yeah, being all excited because you, uh, you're you going to be one of the world's first moose dragoons. Yeah. And and then no, couldn't get them to learn <laughs> how, to, how to destroy enough in time. So, I, I mean, it sounds like 
the moose are just were not built for that job anyway. If they're so susceptible to disease, uh, they don't play well with others. They they're scared of loud noises. You know, like it's kind of the perfect weapon to not be in a war. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. They're total antithesis to what a war animal should be. Hmm. Right. Well, I'll uh, I'll take us on to a pretty fascinating uh, slice of histoire here that uh, also has to do with scaring the piss out of horses and being generally ornery. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to talk about camels. <laughs> ornery, ornery camels. Now, you know, just like elephants, probably just as long uh, they've been in use in warfare, they're, they're actually what... Well, they, what what the moose lacks in some respects, the camel makes up for, and also matches. But <laughs> they're <laughs> they're they're great in warfare because the scent of them frightens horses, uh, and and that made them particularly good anti cavalry units. They were also used, Dave, as anti elephant units in a horrific display, not unlike your your uh, burning pigs. Yeah. By a 14th century Mongolian leader called Timur. Uh, and when he was met by the Indian army and its 120 heavily armored war elephants at Delhi, Timur ordered his troops to dismount their camels, load them with hay, set them on fire, and send them at the elephants. No. Yeah. It was completely sadistic and completely effective for what it sought to do. Uh, the elephants panicked and ran trampling the Indian army behind them. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, play you know, stupid you know games, what? win stupid prizes. <laughs> yeah. Like, for fuck's sake, set your infantry on fire and send them running at the enemy. It'll do the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Anything on fire running at the enemy. Now, fast forward to the mid-19th century. The U.S. Army faced the difficult task of hauling supplies across the newly acquired lands in the Southwest, where the arid and inhospitable terrain proved too harsh for the traditional beasts of burden. Like, you got your horses, you got your mules. Yep, yep. Taking note of the utilitarian history of camels, as well as their success in warfare, the importation of camels was suggested to the War Department by Henry Wayne, a quartermaster major. Secretary of War Jefferson Davis agreed that populating the Southwest with camels would solve this problem. He dispatched an army officer to the Middle East to purchase several dozen dromedaries and hire a few cameliers. Thus, the U.S. Camel Corps was born, composed of 60-plus camels that were purchased and shipped to America in the 1850s. Now, at first, this was great. It, it worked out perfectly because the camels impressed the handlers with their strength and the ability to survive on little food and water. They're very efficient at, yeah. at what they do. Yeah. Yeah. Camels are sort of used to not having a lot on hand. You'll <laughs> notice that about a camel. Yeah. Apparently they, they could eat the, the sagebrush and, and the terrible plants that grow in the Southwest, uh, unlike horses. They were very efficient at uh, carrying things and always have been. And one weird thing that I learned, it has to do with their red blood cells. They apparently have oval-shaped blood cells, oh. which allow the blood cells to be more efficient when moving through the bloodstream. Oh, 
Okay. So I, I can get behind that. Yeah. So when you exert a lot of effort, your red blood cells carry oxygen and pretty soon you're getting so many carrying oxygen and, and working that it kind of gums up the works. And then you get less efficient at processing oxygen and thus less, a you know. Yeah. Well, apparently these camels with the oval shape, the blood cells will slide by each other easily. And like, so they yeah, can it's work like having longer. oiled blood. Yeah. Pretty neat. But um, trouble soon arose when the dromedaries tendency to wander off in the night and their famously irritable and stubborn dispositions started spooking other army animals. And then shortly after the outbreak of the Civil War in 1861, the Camel Corps was discontinued entirely because we need money and supplies elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the classic. I should have given them to the Navy. <laughs> uh, pr- Project Radioscope. <sighs> yeah. What are you talking Isot- about? Isotope 9 is go. <laughs> <laughs> It's just camels, sir. I said isotope nice. <laughs> Fine. Project Shadow Spider. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Some of the Camel Corps members fell into the hands of private citizens, while others escaped or were released into the wild and traveled as far as Canada, where residents reported seeing feral camels up until the 1930s. That's awesome. Yeah, and only Americans. Just uh, let them go. See how it works out. Be fine. You know, and, and a lot of them were just released, or basically, like they pissed off some of the the army personnel so badly that the army guys did not care what happened to them. They they <laughs> oh, they either like uh, sent them off on their way, or pointed them towards a cliff and tried to to get them to take a long walk. Like they really pissed some some uh, army guys off. <laughs> But there's a legend connected to this whole slice of of crazy Americana, and that's the legend of the Red Ghost. Have you you heard about this, Dave? I haven't heard the legend of the Red Ghost, Flora, but I'd like to. Let me tell you a story, Dave. It was 1883 on an isolated ranch near Eagle Creek, Arizona. One morning, two men rode out to check the cattle, leaving their wives to tend the children. Later that morning, one woman went to the spring to draw up water, while her friend remained at the house with the children. Soon after this woman left, one of the ranch dogs began barking frantically. The woman in the house heard her friend scream. She looked outside to see a huge red-haired beast with a ghoulish skeletal rider on its back. Badly frightened, she hid in the house, keeping the children close until the men returned. That night, after a short search, the men found the woman's trampled body. The next morning, they found cloven hoof prints and long red hairs near where her body was found. A few days later, a party of miners near Clifton, Arizona, received a rude awakening. Something huge thundered toward them, screaming. Its huge bulk collapsed their tent. When they managed to clamber out of the ruined tent, they caught a glimpse of something big running away into the night. Later, they found cloven hoof prints and long red hairs. A few months later, a rancher on the Salt River by the name of Cyrus Hamblin came across the beast while he was rounding up cattle. <laughs> 
he recognized the creature as a camel, but to his horror, he saw that there was a skeletal body strapped to its back. Despite his reputation as an honest man, few believed him. A few weeks later, the Red Ghost was spotted again by miners, this time near the Verde River. They fired at the beast, but missed. As the camel fled, a piece of its passenger fell off. It was soon identified by the miners as a partially mummified skull with bits of hair and skin still clinging to the bone. For the next ten years, the legend of the Red Ghost grew, as legends tend to do. Then, in eastern Arizona, a rancher rose one morning to find the huge animal grazing in his garden. One shot from the rancher's trusty Winchester, and the infamous Red Ghost was no more. By this time, the large camel had shaken free of its dead rider, but still bore the saddle and leather straps with which the corpse had been attached. Now, there was much speculation as to who the mysterious dead rider the camel had carried for several years might have been. One tale alleges that the rider was a young soldier who was afraid of the camels and therefore was having much difficulty in learning how to ride them. In order to teach him how, his fellow soldiers tied him to the top of the beast, determined that he would get over his fear. They then hit the camel on the rump, and the beast took off running. Though the soldiers pursued the camel and his rider... The red beast easily outpaced them and escaped into the desert. Neither the camel nor his hapless rider were ever seen again. Until he got shot and trampled people and yeah, and that's a pretty that's a pretty shitty way to go. That's like some uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome shit. Yeah, I mean, who's to say it? It wasn't someone who was uh, punished for something, you know, strap him to a right. camel or I'm going to see what they call that in Mad Max. Cause it, I know you bust, bust a deal, face the wheel. And I want to see what the punishment is. And this one, uh, if you don't like Mark Hamill, ride the camel. <laughs> I think it's called, I think that punishment was gulag. Yeah. I think, I think that's what it was, but yeah, they put the, they put the gigantic, uh, Mardi Gras head on him and <laughs> made him ride backwards. That's awful way to die. That is a terrible, terrible, terrible way to die. You know, also could just be a, a rider in the desert who succumbed yeah. to thirst or starvation or something, you know, like that's probably low on the explanation list. But um, if you're out there riding a camel or heart attack or something might hit you or, you know, who knows? Ooh, that's awful. I guess that's a cool story, though. I, I love yeah. that. I love that idea of like that guy out there just trucking around with a skeleton on his back like <laughs> yeah that's terrifying yeah but how about that how about uh old uh, jefferson davis who went on to head up the old confederacy yeah bringing in camels to help populate the southwest never heard of that yeah nor, nor had i that's kind of a cool piece of history yeah you know one, one of my favorite comedians is uh he does a lot of like whose line is it uh, is named jeff davis and he often mentions, he's like, yeah, you go to the South. He's like, I don't have to pay for drinks. He's like, people love Jefferson Davis in the South so much. He's like, you say your name's Jeff Davis. They're like, really? Here's something for free. Yeah. And he's, and he's like, he's like, I mean, free drink, but eh, they all kind of think I'm racist. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tainted drink. Yeah, that is a tainted drink. But hey, you know, it swallows the same. 
Don't ever quote me on that again. I'll never say that ah, phrase again. Ah, and I ah. instantly regret it. It's a good thing this isn't recorded. What do you got next? All right, I've got a, I got a nice uplifting uh, dismount for my half of this thing. Cool. Uh, I've got the uh, fascinating story of Lin Wang, the Asian elephant, who also had a pretty storied military career, started out as part of the Burma campaign of the Second Sino-Japanese War, which everyone else just lumps into World War II, but it's a different sort of thing. And uh, Lin Wang was captured in one of these uh, Burmese skirmishes and then brought into the Chinese uh, army as the part of the Chinese expeditionary force. And so, and just like we've discussed in a hundred different ways here, like we talked about at the very beginning, Lin Wang's job was transport just to move heavy equipment and, and materials and men back and forth and also pulling full artillery pieces. And Lin Wang has had a few different names uh, in his life. He was uh, for a while known as Ame, which means the beautiful. <laughs> and so was uh, utilized throughout the war. Now, by the end of the war in 45, the expeditionary force was recalled back to China and there was a long trek back to get these elephants back. Most of the other captured elephants died. And because of the popularity of these elephants, they became kind of folk heroes. They were then incorporated into a traveling circus whose job it was is to actually raise money for famine relief, hmm. which was a, a really you know worthwhile and important thing to do, which is great. And uh, some of the elephants were sent to various zoos and a few of them were relocated to a park in Guangzhou of which Lin Wang was a part of that. Now uh, at this point, in 1952, the army decided, you know what, Lin Wang, you've done everything a tough little Asian elephant can. We're mustering you out. So they gave Lin Wang to the Taipei Zoo. And here's, this is why I like this story, why I'm ending with it, because it's the rarest thing in the world. It's a, it's a happy ending. At this zoo, Lin Wang, who at the time was still going by the name of Ame, you know, whatever, met his lifelong mate which is because they do mate for life. And the keeper of the zoo was like, well, now that you live here, you got yourself a lady. I feel like I'm a, mm, it's a little too feminine of a name. So change the name to King of the Forest, which <laughs> abbreviated down to Lin Wang. Hmm. Uh, so Lin Wang became not only one of the most popular attractions, but also this kind of folk hero for people because of, of his entire life story. Uh, in 83, the zoo first, it's first, uh, the zoo threw the first birthday party ever, mm. uh, for an animal in there for his 66th birthday. Lin Wang lived until 2003 in absolute like happiness, joy, and squealing pig free peace <laughs> wow. for the rest of his days with his lifelong mate. So, Flaming so way to camel go, free peace. Yes. Yeah. All those things that elephants hate. He had no problem with that. Wow. So way to go, Lin Wang. You got out of the game. I mean, he's he's on track to have a better life than I have. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh <laughs> uh, well, I've got a I've got a pretty fun one uh, to dismount on my end with too, uh, and that is of Sergeant Bill, the Canadian goat hero of World War One. Old Sergeant Bill, you goat, the gruff old Sarge. So there were a bunch of Canadian soldiers going to war in France and decided to bring a goat with them as a mascot. Great idea, guys. And apparently they were able to avoid quarantine and smuggle this goat into France. And this goat 
stayed with the unit in the war, suffered shrapnel wounds, shell shock, trench foot, like he did it all. Even went Ooh. missing once. <laughs> even went AWOL. He even went AWOL and then came back and got arrested for eating military equipment. <laughs> like you do. But he was credited with saving at least three lives when he headbutted men into a trench to avoid an exploding shell. And Sergeant Bill was honored with the 1914 Star, the General Service Medal, and the Victory Medal for his war efforts. And after being retired, he returned to his home in Saskatchewan. And um, after he died a little while later, he was mounted and is now part of the Broadview Museum. So, ah, that's a little weird. What? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's a goat. Mount it. Why not? But also, it's like kind of a war hero. Is it was a weird to mount a war hero? <laughs> I, I don't know. Me neither. Me neither, dude. I mean, I don't know either. I think it's a it's a pretty fun story of a of a war goat. Yeah, I love that idea of a war goat. I also love the idea that like this war goat was just smacking people around and then maybe a bomb went off and they were like, you're a hero. And the goat's like, you <laughs> sons of bitches. It's like eating grenades and they're like, now, now, Sergeant Bill. <laughs> they just wouldn't admit that it was a mistake to bring a goat to war. So everything <laughs> they did, they just gave it the best possible intentions. Hey, this is a Disney movie, though. Like, Oh, on. yeah. Absolutely it is. <laughs> the other side's got like a, uh, the villain is like a flaming pig or something, but. <laughs> Hell boy. Yeah. yeah. What, what's nature's, what's nature's uh, uh, perfect foil to the goat? What's the anti-goat? What is an anti-goat? I don't know, man. Me neither. Honey badger? That's everything's Maybe. anti-creature. Maybe. I did hear tell and i don't know if this i don't think this is substantiated but uh i think it was maybe world war ii england was experimenting with badger bombs what or, or not maybe not so much badger bombs but like weaponized badgers <laughs> well i mean I, every that, badger is pre-weaponized i mean yeah. what else is there what I else you gotta do just point them <laughs> i don't know that that that's a real story or not but a little something i read now Here's where we're going to wrap this up and, uh, oh, yeah. and tell you that while there were many that we just regaled you with, that was just a small sample of oh, man. We missed- how animals have participated in war and being attack machines and yeah. helpers and mascots. Laura, uh, let's name a couple of ones that we just didn't even get to go over, just, yeah. just so that we can say we mentioned them. Pigeons. Uh, what about Dolphins. Trade, yeah. Military dolphins, sea lions, uh, dogs. Of course, dogs. Oh. Dogs have been used in in war not only to attack, but oh yeah. I mean, there there what? was there's some pretty god awful stuff that that yeah. people have done with dogs in uh, oh, in yeah. wartime. Um, yeah, what was it Soviet? Uh, was it Soviet Union that had was it anti tank dogs? They were not the only ones in history. Oh. Actually, they. The idea of it was taken, used by Germans, used by Japanese, like, yeah, dogs being sent in basically as suicide bombers. Yeah. And it it is as horrific as it sounds. It didn't catch on as much as, like, elephants in war, thankfully, just because 
you know, sometimes they had a uh, Wiggum moment where the dog would run back to the to yeah. the handler. That's called getting Wiggumed. Yeah, the the things that people have done to animals in war is just it's uh, horrifying. It's, it's horrifying. It's, it's, it's horrifying, it's and it's and it's also frightening, like how creative, true people get. Like, like those are there's some real out of the fucking box thinking there, and that should go back in the box. Re- really, really is. That's like I was saying earlier. Like it just makes your mouth hang open in disbelief, but at the same time, it's like that is a horribly efficient way to do the job you want to be done yeah it's just you gotta have a soul with doing this you, we should be stewards of of animals and not but then again i guess when you're when your singular goal is well how many of those people over there can i kill you're already starting pretty deep in the old yeah. ethics hole so yeah the old ethics hole that's a, our new podcast comes out every other week dave and dave get into the old ethics hole gross we stay out of that hole that hole has been filled. Yeah. It was filled in 2016. Isn't it fascinating how, how much of this stuff has been shaped? And, and you never hear about these things. No. And you hear no, about what, you know, pieces of history. Yeah. And there's like little jokesy things like Francis the Talking Mule and Rin Tin Tin. And, but man, it's, it's, it's actually pretty, pretty ugly, bloody business. Ugh. No thanks. Hard pass. Yeah. Like I said, I, I think that uh, animals should be getting less utilized uh, as technology advances. But then again, there are certain technologies being developed where they want to implant uh, electrodes and things into the brains of animals and such and be able to control them. And I'm thinking of, in particular, sharks. Uh, They are trying to control sharks to, like, surveil, I guess, because they they can move silently in the water. They can track submarines they can check on enemy ships you know like yeah i guess anything they can stay under that long they mean that long i mean by that long i mean forever Forever. (laughs) but yeah and they've already like you said they've used dolphins to to find mines and sea lions would apparently be trained to annoy the shit out of enemy divers (laughs) yeah well you know that's the funny thing is that what i what i saw from uh uh my research is that as far as the military's use of the dolphins and things like that is that the one problem they had they couldn't it's not that they didn't want to turn them into weapons that were offensive in nature mm-hmm. but um they just couldn't conceptually get like our ships their ships our guys their guys it's just all ships it's all guys so yeah. you could you could you could train them just for objectives and monitor all ships all guys but you couldn't say uh you know blow up this one don't blow up this one they're just like eh, they're all boats yeah. And that's what they that's what they kept saying. They're all boats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let's see. I think I think that's going to do it. It it's yeah. like I said, it's it's fascinating, it's horrible, and some of them is uh it shows just how how much better people animals are than people are. Yeah. In some respects. So that that's uh Animals of War for you and a snake and bee filled flaming nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Ultimate weapon. Uh. Well, the only thing that's less humane to deploy in a time of war is puns. (laughs) That pun came back at you, though. Oh, it did. You got got pun-wiggumed. Pun-wiggumed. I got one right here for you. 
Oh. Uh, did you know that um, the Soviet Union, after doing a lot of historical research and realizing just how efficient insects were as a weapon of war, and, you know, the fact that, you know, an ant can live 50 times its strength and, and you know, flying, stinging, uh, you know, acidic secretions. There's so many things to be learned from that. But the problem was they're just too damn small. You can't, you can't hand them a gun. You can't, you know, you can't make them pilot a tank. So uh, what the Soviet Union figured is, uh, what if we crossbred them with people? And that's, that's where they got their core of human bees. <laughs> Human bees. Yeah, yeah. We got. Well, if you specialize in training and riding camels, you can become a camelier. But if you specialize in telling the difference between camel colors, breeds, regions, smells, and all aspects of camel service, you could become a camelier. <laughs> I got that. I like that. You get a big medallion to wear. <laughs> little of this little of that i don't know uh you know the uh, canadian military um always looking for uh more options better ways to patrol the great white north and because it has always been a country at ease with its wildlife always uh trying to work closely with them uh they also tried to incorporate that they tried to have more mounted units that could move faster that could have greater range the problem is they could just never get it off the ground it was the uh, goose cavalry. <laughs> oh man! You know there there was an unsuccessful experiment in World War II where French forces dropped cheese on their enemies. What? Yeah, the problem was the cheese was just too soft and melty, and it did no damage. But it went well with honey, so they ended up shutting down the use of the brie bomb. Nice. I could use not the brie. Not the bird! <laughs> <laughs> Wicker Man B sound. Sound. Oh, no, not the bees! Not the bees! Ah! Oh, no, my eyes! My eyes! Ah! I don't know why I say sound twice, but that's how it is now. <laughs> <laughs> like a baseball announcer. Uh, well, the only thing that, uh, that has more stinging parts than a bee bomb is listener mail. <laughs> Got an email from Asher. He says, hi, Dave. Hey, that's us. Big fan of your content and attitude. We hey. do have an attitude. Huh. huh. Was wondering huh. if you'd consider huh. doing an episode on Terrence McKenna and his talk of machine elves. Uh, I know what I'm looking up before I go to bed tonight. Terrence McKenna, man. Yeah. Worth noting as disclaimer, I am not directly uh, experienced with, the, with that jazz as of uh, when this is being sent. Yeah. So I guess we'll find out together. Uh, big thanks. And also every now and then, I just think of... Lorman Molman. <laughs> Lorman Molman. And have a hearty <laughs> chuckle to myself. Best, Asher. Thanks, sir. Thank you, Asher. Yeah, I think Terrence McKenna should be. Isn't he one um, of the guys and kids in the hall? It's somebody who's influenced uh, a lot of the, uh, a lot of that, uh, that thinking that, that the kids do these days. Oh, these fucking thinking kids. This one comes to us from Katie. Hi, guys. Hi, Hi. Katie. Long time listener. Second time emailer. I'll take it. Listening to the Polybius episode, which is truly excellent. Woo! Thank you, Katie. Thank you. Always love little David and Dave nostalgia. <laughs> well, you loved this episode. <laughs> David, that's me. I liked your shout out to Tasty Freeze, although you're mistaken about one thing. <gasps> Dairy Queen is the poor man's or woman's Dairy Queen. 
<laughs> it is the it's Ouroboros. True. It is the beginning and end of the cycle. It is itself. I uh, was super enthused when Flora asked Deco to digress from the topic at hand into the <laughs> summary of The Last Starfighter. Uh, has a has a cool show suggestion. Thanks for making it through. Still loving the podcaster after all these years. Bye. Thank you, Katie. Thanks, Katie. I uh, got an email here from Sean D, a.k.a. Professor Fresh. <laughs> Uh, greetings, David. Love the podcast. It's my favorite podcast. Thank you, sir. Thanks. I listen to blurry photos when I'm driving uh, to work. Uh, technically, it's BP, not BF. Professor Fresh, you should know the difference. <laughs> uh, driving to work, and now I'm when uh, now when I'm working out, my bench press has increased substantially. Uh, I'd be careful because oh, yeah. I would hate uh, for a, a sudden flora tirade to make you drop a weight on yourself. Keep up the great work. I'm spreading all the word to my friends and all their podcasts are spring heeled whack. Thanks, Professor Fresh. Oh, thanks, Fresh. Fresh. Uh, this one comes to us from Cyrus. Is it ironic that I just had the Bader Meinhof effect happen right after you brought it up on the doppelganger episode i just read about the william west lookalikes yesterday anyway you guys inspire me to make puns every day much to my co-workers chagrin boy i i can think of few higher compliments than that damn skippy <laughs> thank you cyrus Thanks, cyrus got an email here from thunderhead the first time writer intro oh uh, hi, I discovered your podcast about a year ago and still catching up whilst simultaneously listening to the new episodes when they come out. That's a lot of work, and I salute you, sir. Probably caught up by now. Uh, good stuff. I just listened to the Doppelganger episode, and it turns out to be quite topical. In the late 90s and early 2000s, I worked at a camera store where my job was to just develop people's film all day. Ooh. Yeah. That's going to be a good story for your grandkids. They won't believe you. Oh, yeah. Uh, one time I was developing a role of film where there was a group of people around a Christmas tree, and one of whom was apparently me. The likeness was so uncanny that even though this person was a few years younger than me in appearance, I was able to make a copy, cut the other people out, and take it home to fool my family. Uh, now the fun part, also the true part. I mean, that's the fun part, also the true part. Now my doppel doppelganger seems to be writing into podcasts under the guise of being yours truly and doling out not completely correct information under the names Rose Gold C-3PO. Like getting the primary colors of pigment, cyan and magenta and yellow, confused with red, yellow, and blue in the common color wheel. What a jerk. Uh, oh, well, all's well. That ends, I say. <laughs> Did I steal that from somewhere? Who cares? Uh, I say it's you now. Well, I got to get going. I'm on my way to pick up rose gold C-3PO. Uh, we're meeting up with a few more lookalikes for some group-based period activities. You know, a, do a doppelgang bang. Nice. I <laughs> low hanging fruit. I know it's the sweetest fruit there is. Uh, low hanging fruit will also feature in the aforementioned activities, by the way. <laughs> Yikes. But Hey, got to start somewhere. I don't know where we're headed exactly, but RG three PO has, uh, has the ability to mentally uh, locate duplicates of himself anywhere in the world, but only when they're having sex with each other, he calls it his doppelgangdar. Gross. <laughs> anyway, great show. Highly entertaining. Keep up the work. Man, I love what kind of crazy word jazz you got going on there. Highest of fives, <laughs> Thunderhead. Man, what if, what if we all have copies running around and it's just such a big world, we never run into them. Or it's like Oblivion, the movie with, with Tam Cruise. <laughs> oh, yeah. Spoiler. I think, I mean, <laughs> if, you, if I saw my doppelgamer... There's a doppelgamer out there. There is another David Stecco in the United States, just one. But uh, through the podcast and my shenanigans, 
I'm determined to be the alpha Dave on the internet. And I am, I don't, I mean, you got to like try to find that dude, Yeah. but he's super nice too, because every now and again on like Facebook or something, something will go to him that meant to go to me and, mm. and he'll, he'll sort it out. He's a super cool guy. You're thinking of, of name, name all ganger. Yeah. Well, it's whatever. I, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of the poor sap who's got this face. <laughs> I'd say he's doing so, all right. Um, one more here from Zach. Zachary. Mining Bitcoins alone is difficult and not worth it. If instead you join a Bitcoin mining pool, you and many other folks work on mining the same Bitcoin, and the amount of Bitcoin that you get back is related to the amount of computation that you put towards the problem. Example, I did 1% of the work, got 1% of Bitcoin. Also, money itself isn't related to anything. The fact that Bitcoins aren't backed doesn't matter. I love the show. Ah, uh, yeah, more Bitcoin facts. You love those. Yeah, I I mean, the fact that money isn't backed up is stupid, too. I'll tell you that, too. (laughs) 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 I don't know. Like, just print more, and there it is. Get it out of thin air. Man, currency... Currency is is dumb. It is dumb. It's just dumb. You know what's but not? What are we What are we gonna do? Got our last email here from Super Zombie Master Alpha Plus Gold Edition. Oh my god! Yeah, you get the free DLC with that. I guy. pre-ordered. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, you get the free DLC. It's worth it. He writes, Vigi Games, love them. Fight! Some years ago, I leave work, turn a corner, and there's a full movie scene police standoff. SWAT, guns, helicopters, all that jazz. There had been a report of a man entering a building carrying a military-style duffel bag filled to the brim with firearms. Turns out this was true. You see, this building was ho- uh, this building housed a dev office for America's Army. This is a video game we talked about. Not sure if it was the main office, a satellite, contractors, what have you, but one of the employees brought the guns into the building to use as models for the game. He had been reported by someone from some other company also working in that building. Finish him! In Denver, there is currently a barcade called One Up with a second location called Two Up. Love that. Wow, I'll have to check that out next time I'm back in Colorado. Friendship! I have a tattoo of the Mortal Kombat symbol (laughs) on my shoulder. Got it a few months before Mortal Kombat 2 was announced kick ass bonus round favies of yesteryear moon patrol zaxxon spy hunter robotron my first love ms pac-man all awesome moon patrol that's a basic bitch of a game but it is hard to play real hard uh but yeah zaxxon spy hunter i'm with you on all those things and i don't know have we talked about this in the podcast that i know raiden has that ever come up yet did we i think so long story short i think so i am uh friends with the 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 motion capture actor who played Raiden. And I was friends with him for Sounds years familiar. before he told me that fact. And I was like, are you f-ing kidding me? And then I instantly looked it up and I was so excited that I know the guy who did the mocap uh, and stuff for Raiden. So I just had no Hilarious. idea. I was like, that's the most important thing I've ever learned. Uh, so thank you so much, Super Zombie Master Alpha Plus Gold Edition. And I look <laughs> I look forward to uh, seeing you once the servers are up. And I think that'll do it for our listener mail this time around. Uh, you know what's even toastier than a sweet, sweet heart removal fatality? Uh, the spine one? Yes, actually. That's exactly right. <laughs> Sub-Zero's is, is the best one. But what's even cooler than that? What's, what's cooler than Sub-Zero? Ice cold. cold. Five stars on iTunes, liking us on Facebook, uh, following us on Twitter, blurry underscore photos, following those elegant ladies at Candy Chat at Candy Chatters, liking their Facebook as uh, their Facebook as well, giving those ladies a five star review on iTunes. 
Um, check us out at patreon.com slash blurry photos. Get yourself a bunch of stuff and support the podcast. It's a win-win for everybody. Uh, we've got, uh, some plans that we're working on right now. We haven't established a date just yet, but this summer, uh, some fun things that we're going to be doing, uh, for the live cast that we do every month for the Jack slap level patrons. Uh, we're working on some things. How about life live camps, campfire ghost stories and marshmallow inhaling, I might die. Uh, we're also working on something we're calling the Dave Cathalon. Uh, we are going to try to play some chunky. We're going to throw some knives. I mean, at some point we're going to drink. I hope all that happens after the spear throwing, the arrow shooting, and the knife throwing. But yeah, yeah there will be some drinking. Uh, we got some cool plans for that coming up too. So check that stuff out. As always, go to audibletrial.com slash blurry photos. Get yourself a free audio book. Get us a monetary high five. Something to listen to while you swing around in a hammock. And if you don't have a hammock, these things are not expensive, people. Go online. Get yourself a hammock. Improve your effing life. Brought to you by the nation's hammock council and blurry photos. Also, check out the Chicago Podcast Cooperative. It took them 16 years to dig that tunnel out of the penitentiary. They're in the underground, but... You can still get in touch with them. You can still hear their stories. Track down any of the glorious podcasts from the Chicago Podcast Cooperative. Flora, pop quiz, name one. Tight Pencils. Tight Pencils. I actually sang their theme song. They said, no, thank you, but I did do it. So uh, check them out. Uh, I think that's everything. I try to make it as fast and painless as possible. So thank you guys, as always, for listening to Blurry Photos. You're magnificent. I think that'll do it for this episode of Blurry Photos. I have been the skeletal rider, David Flora. And I have been Dave Wickerman B Sound Sound. Oh, no, not the bees! Not the bees! Ah! Oh, no, my eyes! Stacko. Down on. Down on. Death and hatred to mankind. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Hard hard bye. 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 Bye